1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? When the world is the target. 72 hours ago, a secret weapon system was detonated over Savannah. And the threat is real. GoldenEye exists. A radiation surge that destroys everything with an electronic circuit. You can still depend on one man. I want you to find Goldeneye. Three. Find who took it. Two. And stop it. One. The name's Bond. James Bond. The world's most famous secret agent is back. We aim to please. And this time, 007 is facing the ultimate enemy. The man who knows him best. Hello, James. What an unpleasant surprise. 006. What's the matter? No pithy comeback? He was your friend. And now he's your enemy and you will kill him. Is the satellite in range? Target is London. Now, the entire world is about to be caught in the crossfire. See you in hell, James. You first. Kill him. The pleasure will be all mine. Would you check her out? That's it, huh? Three clicks, arms the fuse. Don't say it. The writing's on the wall. Grow up, 007. I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. You know, James, I was always better. Both of you, stop it. You like boys with toys. The trick is to quit while you're still here. I wouldn't think of it. Charming, sophisticated secret agent. Shaken, but not disturbed. <laughs> Get us out of here! Bond. Only Bond. Man just won't take a hint. You don't need the gun. That depends on your definition of safe sex. On November 17th... Robin! United Artists brings you... Trust me. James Bond. Why can't you just be a good boy and die? 
That's one trick I've never learned. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro, and I am here with the plethora of James Bond reviewers. So rather than take my time, I'm going to run right through the list. There is David Pascarella, Chris Tyler, of course, Sean Whalen, Brian Hughes, and Jeff Vaughn. Scott Gardner is scheduled to join us, but he's having some computer issues, and we're hoping he's going to get on soon. But we have to get started because of time constraints, and uh, hopefully Scott will be able to be with us in a few minutes. Anyway, today we are taking a look at the first Pierce Brosnan James Bond movie, GoldenEye, from 1995, I believe. My screen went blank on that. Uh, Pretty sure you're right. Yep. Yes, 1995. So there was, there was a layoff of about seven or eight years between License to Kill and GoldenEye. And what I didn't realize until, you know, looking some stuff up for this was they had made plans to have a, a third Timothy Dalton movie. Uh, and it was ready to go. He was contracted to do it. And things got delayed for some sort of legal issues. And then by the time they were ready to do this, his contract had expired. But they had in, they had wanted to bring him back. He was interested in coming back, at least if what I read is correct. Uh, but they did not want him to come back and do one movie, which his original contract was for three films. They wanted him to sign another new contract where he would do like four or five Bond films. And he didn't want to be tied down that way. So he ultimately rejected it. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, who had previously been offered the role but couldn't do it because he was contractually obligated for Birmingham Steel. And I understand his contract said he's never allowed to play James Bond. Uh, and, and they had to actually buy that part of his contract out. Uh, so they brought him in to do this. But then that was after they had considered uh, Mel Gibson and somebody else in the role. The Merovingian. Uh, who's that? The Merovingian from The Matrix. Uh, what was his name? Really? Lambert. Yeah, he was. Uh, and Hugh, Hugh Grant as well. Yes, I heard you, Grant. Oh, God. I don't see that working, honestly. No. Mel Gibson in the right situation, maybe, but but I don't think he was really the right choice either. No. Uh, but this movie, I saw this when it first came out. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and looking at it now in hindsight, it has some interesting aspects to it. And I'm looking at it from the era that it's made in, and I'm thinking... They tried to work in a little bit of Die Hard here. They tried to work in a little bit of Lethal Weapon. The scene early on when he's having the car race with uh, Zaniya on the top, he's definitely uh, channeling Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon, trying to seem a little crazy or whatever. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see the way this one came together because it feels like they were trying to ground it a little bit more but still have some of the humor you know the humorous quips uh and and it, it almost felt like they were unwilling to commit themselves totally one way or the other and i look to the different transitions we've had you know the the, the very short george lazenby period then the transition to 
to Roger Moore and then the transition to Timothy Dalton and see how they kind of changed things when they went along. And I feel like what they wanted to do was to get, you know, the, the suave look and the quippiness and they wanted to work in some of the edginess, but I think that's where it kind of failed. I think that's where Dalton and Connery had it over him hands down. Uh, but that's you know that's my my initial thoughts off the top of my head, and I don't want to just you know clog up the works and not hear what you guys have to say before I continue pontificating further. So why don't we work our way around my clockwise uh, screen here and see what everybody else's initial thoughts are? So to my right is David. Uh, <clears throat> I like this picture. I saw this in the uh, theater, and uh, I I had uh, skipped the Dalton movies actually. I, I didn't see those, so for me, this was going back, so to speak. What I liked about uh, Pierce Brosnan is he kind of went a little bit back to the old time with the uh, Bond is a bit of a ladies' man, where I felt we kind of lost that with Dalton to some extent. We had a lot of humor in it, particularly the car chase with the tank. Which, of course, what did it need to make it better? J.W. Pepper. Well, it, no. I'm going I'm to interrupt you now because it felt to me like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Wade. Wade. Like, he, he was supposed to be kind of like, let's take Felix Leiter and J.W. Pepper and slam them together, them together and see what we get. And you know what? There was a part of me that kind of, I've said it many times before, to me, Jack Lord is... The best Felix Leiter we've ever had. That being said, I haven't seen the new ones yet. So, but up to this point, and I feel we kind of lost that where it's like, you know, the CIA guy is the slovenly, sloppy American compared to the, you know, prim and proper looking British guy. But uh, I mean, he brings some humor to the table. Of that, that makes sense, though. Because because I think James Bond might be the worst secret agent ever because he walks around yes. and he smells secret agents. You know, it, it, and I mean, in Diamonds Are Forever, they were like, you just killed James Bond. You know, it was like ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, what's it? Wade is more like he's really working undercover. He's driving a shit car around. He's he's not calling attention to him. Well, when he goes, that's ah, close enough for government work, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to sit well with you. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. Yeah, but that that's, you know, really all I have to uh, add in that. I'll have more as we go along. All right, Chris. All right. Uh, yeah, 1995. I was you know, just turned 16, 26, 16. I can't even freaking remember now. Uh, yeah, uh, first one I saw in the theater. So uh, it's a special place in my heart for sure. Um, and it, it has been mentioned. I, this, it, Brosnan in this can be ruthless, and he can be smooth and funny and charming, like Roger Moore, um, who I have a great affinity for. I think we all know by this point on this show. Um, but yeah, I seeing this in the theater, you know, the, the Eternal Sign, just the, the tank chase and. Uh, I mean, Famke Jansen just looking amazing. You know, the first real 
kick-ass femme fatale in like a long time that I can remember. They sure. just <sighs> she was kicking. Yeah, so got to give it that. She was kick-ass, but again, how long? How how far in between was that? Three movies. Yeah, in t- period of time, like that's a long, It was like a oh, decade. It's probably about probably about a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just yeah, I, I I love this flick. I got sucked in first. I, this is probably the one of one of the five that I've watched the most in the last twenty eight years. You know, um, and I'll have plenty more to say. So let's go on to the next person. All right, next one in the circle is Sean. So I was a big fan of Remington Steel, which is kind of a baseline. When and I think <laughs> if I remember correctly, I think he was announced when Dalton was being considered as, as one of the ones that was a contender, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was the Remington Steel contract that kept that from happening. In fact, they renewed Remington Steel, which was in danger of being canceled after the announcement that he was being considered to be Bond. Yeah, and that was when I think they did those TV movies or whatever. But um, I always thought he would be a great Bond. I just I, I felt like he had the right balance of some of what has already been said here. Right balance of action, right balance of swagger, the right balance of humor. Um, and I, one of my first Bond movies that I ever saw was Live and Let Die. So it had like the right mix of what I liked about Roger Moore in that film, because I think that was one of the edgier Roger Moore films. But um, this film, when I saw it in the theater, especially with the amount of time between the last Bond film, I was ready for another Bond movie. Saw this in the theater and it delivered. So it was funny to see it now because it's been a while since I've seen this one. And um, it was it's interesting to compare. You know, we've we've obviously had the most recent movies and now we're we're I'm going back to seeing Brosnan. I like him a lot. Um, and there's a, so much of the film was really my enjoyment of him. At, I liked his bond. I liked his presentation. This being the introduction of it, it's going to be fun to talk about this particular film you know, in comparison to some of his later ones. But, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Enjoyed, I enjoyed watching this one again. Okay, Brian, what do you say? I saw this movie and thought that Famke Jensen's hair should get an Oscar. Um, <laughs> and I wonder where that hair went after she left the movie. It was like she didn't ever use that hairdresser again. But th- that being said, I, I was looking forward to Pierce Brosnan coming in since – Timothy Dalton wasn't coming back. And I, I I thought that Timothy Dalton had aged really quick at the time. So I thought it was a good time for them to go ahead and switch over. And I remember it's funny because watching it, I kept sitting there saying, I wonder if he's going to show some Remington steel as a joke. And there was a scene where he hops on the boat and opens a sliding glass door and he does it with that Remington steel panache. You know what I'm talking about, Sean, where he's just got that little flair as he's doing it. Mm-hmm. And and I said, so is this Remington Steel making fun of Bond, making fun of Remington Steel? <laughs> I, I, I had so much fun with the movie, uh, and I, it, it adhered to much of the Bond formula except for uh, post-credit, where post-opening credits where he would normally go to the office. And I had questions in this newest watching of it. I didn't have those questions back then. Um but I, I find this one uh, to be one of my favorites of his work. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, the quality kind of went downhill, not in the production oh, yeah. value, but just in the spectacle uh, on the Brosnan films. And he even talks about that. 
later later on in his career. But uh, yeah, this is this is one of my favorites of Brosnan's Bonds. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait and see as we do these. Mm-hmm. But my initial memory is this is my favorite of the Brosnan films, like not even close. Now, we'll see as we do the other three, if I believe any of them are close. Uh, and I do think some of my opinions on the other three will surprise you. Uh, but let's wait until we get to those. So but I, I you know. I, I agree so far with everything I'm hearing. Jeff, what do you say? If uh, anyone uh, remembers my views in the last Bond film in the series, they that might. That was when be, we were talking so critically of the writing. What wasn't I critical of? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, uh, I. I loved this movie. I saw it at the theater. Um, I, the first one I saw at the theater was Goldfinger at the drive-in with my parents. Um, so I've been. Scare me if you did it on a date. <laughs> I've, I've been, I've been, I've been hooked on this for a long time, man. Uh, but um, I really, truly, truly hated uh the last dalton outing uh and not about dalton himself just the whole the whole mess uh a waste of having david hedison back as felix uh and just all a litany of things and and if you if you take out my complaints out of our last podcast on this the the thing this show's got to be at least a half hour shorter um but I love this. To me, this was the, the to me this was the redemption of the franchise when it happened. It's not it's not that epic level great, uh, but it was so much better than its predecessor that uh, I think for me, uh, I, one of my best friends and I saw uh, the Fourth Protocol when it came out in 1987, and he had been saying when they cast Dalton. And the, all this stuff happened where they couldn't get they couldn't get Brosnan. Um, he he went off and he always held it against Dalton. And 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 then we saw Fourth Protocol. And he goes, this guy's Bond. I'm telling you. And then a few years later, he was. And uh, I think that um, th- there's all sorts of little nits to pick with this movie. Absolutely far from perfect, but very very enjoyable it stands up well it is a superb introduction for brosnan as bond for judy dench as m mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. and and perhaps more significant than brosnan was was her because she she definitely transcended bonds and becomes since bernard lee the longest serving m right um so these are these are real important steps to me um i think that uh uh Desmond Llewellyn still holds it all together at that point uh, and and makes it makes it one series. And there's there's a little bit of grit that they were trying to add and but keep the Connery humor. Maybe keep a dose of the Roger Moore humor. Uh, so I think they were trying to pull back from the Roger Moore. I think, a I, think they, I, I do. I think they were adjusting the volume knob on it. Except for that's my lunch. But yeah, but that's not, that's not Brosnan giving the line. But, that is that line cracked me up the first time I saw it. Don't touch yeah. that. 
and and, and but 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 you know I, I I genuinely love the film. Uh, I'm not like I said I'm, I'm I'm very well aware it has some it has, has some pitfalls to it, but uh, overall just love it. Okay, so let's let's kind of just bring this through. I'm sure we're going to just divert off of this plan, but let's start at the beginning and work our way through. So, you know, the opening scene, the cold open with the bungee jumping and all, that was, I believe, voted one of the most spectacular stunts ever in film. Somewhere around the year 2000, they voted on, like, the best stunts ever. And that was, I think, number four or five on the list. I remember wow. reading it. Um, it deserves it, because the guy really did that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It, it is pretty spectacular, uh, and and I, I like the way they do it with, you know, the silence, and you just see him oh, going yeah. down, and, you know, you only have the, the uh, you know, the, the, the sound when, when it's necessary. You know, all you hear is the wind up until then. Silence, silence, silence in a movie, where we're particularly in a type of movie for which we're used to, we're accustomed to being inundated with sound. Mm. That has only become more progressive as technology has, has ramped up over the years. Uh, that silence is is very powerful. It is, and I totally agree with you in that scene. Yes. Yep. Later on, we're going to talk about the score, and I'm going to have some criticism of the same thing. Oh, yeah. I will so be you're on saying, the opposite end of that spectrum. Then. So you're so. saying a, a slide whistle wouldn't have improved that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. See, now, if this was Seinfeld, that's where you drop the mic and leave. <laughs> You're not beating that. You know, it's funny, though. Everybody talks about that that bungee jump stunt, and yet it's the second big stunt, jumping off the cliff and onto the airplane, that uh, Tom Cruise, I think, is trying to do in his next movie. Okay, so now, I'm not, I'm not a physicist, but... And I don't even know if it would be. Yeah, it would be physics. Uh, wouldn't it be impossible for him to catch up to the plane? Yeah, he's not doing anything uh, to become much more aerodynamic it, it, than the plane. Really, it becomes on the angle. I'm going to use the wrong terminology, but the angle of attack of the airplane actually is going to be the determining factor at that. Yeah, if, true, the, if true. the plane is if the plane is in a slow upward arc and you're descending toward it. You absolutely could catch it, but it isn't. It's going down. No, it's going down, and 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 the and the, and the character's going down, and. And that was one of the really, first things I learned in grade school about it's really unbelievable. Two two items of different weight fall at the same rate. Yes. Unless you change the aerodynamics. Look, and the one thing, of course, was that it was a powered descent, so, yeah, it wasn't going to happen. And I didn't and, bring his head. Look, I didn't, I, also I didn't believe, complain. I didn't complain when Indiana Jones jumped out of a plane and opened up an inflatable raft to survive. Okay. I also didn't complain when he survived in a uh, in a refrigerator. Okay. I, I so did I'm not complain. complain about this. I did complain <laughs> when he fell down in the raft and then they showed the plane explode against the uh, mountainside and there was no debris whatsoever once the flames went away. Yes. But but that's besides the point. Uh, it's funny when you're talking. I, th I believe it's also physically impossible to pull that plane out of that nosedive so quickly and, and to save his life anyway. But it's James Bond doing it, so I've given yes. him the benefit so have, of the yeah, doubt. You have, to, you have to accept a certain amount of unrealism to this, the screen. Now, now I'm going to tangent because it's like when they do Batman movies and try to make them realistic. I'm already bought into the premise that it's a guy who dresses up like a bat and beats the shit out of people. You don't need to oversell me. Okay? <laughs> gotcha. 
I, I, had a, I, had a, I had a conversation with a group editor at DC Comics once, and he said the entire DC universe is predicated on the theory that if you're chasing Superman down a hallway and he turns the corner and you turn the corner and run into Clark Kent, you're going to say, hey, Clark, have you seen Superman? <laughs> he says, That's at okay. some point, okay at some point, we need to not dig too deeply. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you're absolutely right. And and I have to make this disclaimer every once in a while that this show is, you know, to some extent, it's about picking nits. That doesn't mean I didn't like it. It doesn't mean I didn't look at the scene and, and love it. But it's just the same. Um, I also wonder, I how, remember, did, how did Alex fake his death? Well, that, well he, that was was the, with, he was already yeah, in league with Thor. He was, with Thor he was, he was shot in the head point. in front of him. Well, looked, I mean, did, we didn't see it as the audience. We so. saw, we heard the shot, and we saw him fall forward. Personally, I think that's kind of hard to fake, but you know, whatever. Again, you got to just kind of accept. Uh, so, so let's talk him now, Alex. What you think? Love Alex Trevelyan. He's good. Yeah, I, I mean, when when they first when he first popped up there with Bond and he identified him as was 009? 006. 006, Excuse me. And I'm like, how how many times have they shown another double O? And you know, how long have they actually survived when they showed them? Yeah. Oh, usually they're <laughs> not too long. They're dead as fast as his fake death. Yeah, because like they they killed they killed at least one or two in um, Living Daylights, right? They killed and, one. Uh, the one was dressed like, like a clown. Yeah, not to pussy. Yeah, and and so it's like, okay, well, this guy's gonna die, but you know, again, it's Sean Bean. But we didn't know that back then. No, no he wasn't. we didn't. <laughs> he was he was Sean Bean, but he was not Sean Aaron. Bean yet. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't well, we didn't know until Game of Thrones that he was Sean Bean. Yeah. Uh, I'll say Lord of the Rings, but uh, no, because that was only the first time. <laughs> but but it's also it's also one of ones with cold open actually connects to the to the main film which True. usually they don't yeah and by the time you end up seeing him again you've kind of forgotten about him and then it's like oh geez okay all right and then it becomes a totally different thing for bond is it going to be king and country or is it going to be revenge for him now i've heard some criticism of this but i thought it was actually well done is the exposition that they give us to explain who the cossacks are and what their yeah relationship yeah. is uh, I thought I thought it was done fairly well by Hagrid. Yeah, a couple of lines and <laughs> you got you're up to speed. Yeah, oh, yeah I, was, see, I was I was rewatching this with Mari and she's like, "Is that Mini Driver? Is that yes, Hagrid? it is. I was is that Ned Stark? I was like, "Yep." She got paid five grand for the role and they lip synced, so it wasn't even her singing bad. Oh wow! Because uh, she's actually a she's hilarious singer. though with yeah. with that voice. Yes. yes. And uh, she, but she did. I heard that she did an interview on. I'm not sure what show. Uh, but she talked about how the uh, the 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 man woman relationships on that show were very very similar to Bond's attitude towards women. So she she was not happy with uh, the way she was treated, for whatever the case may be. Um, so just working our way through them, you know, after our credit, well, we have our credit sequence. Um, I was not as enamored by the women with the sledgehammers destroying, what were they, Stalin statues? Oh, uh, the Lenin, uh, Stalin. Lenin and Stalin. Yeah. Uh, you know, that didn't really do anything for me, but I did like the song. 
I felt like it was them oh, trying to go back to their roots and recreate Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, and I thought Tina Turner did a nice job with it, especially the slow open of the song, the little do-do-do-do, and then you got yeah. a silence. I thought it was very Bondian. That, that, that's that, so that, weird. Was that Edge and Bono? Did, yeah, Edge yes. and Bono. That's probably the best thing they've ever written. They like live in the same neighborhood as Tina, and they just walked over and said, hey, want to do this? But the funny thing is, is that you never hear any, you know, themes from this song in the rest of the soundtrack in either mm-hmm. Eric Sarah or the uh, the bit with the tank, because that was a different writer altogether. Well, the bit with the tank is the one point where you really hear the, you know, the classic Bond theme. Yeah. And I thought that was well placed there. Speaking of which, Uh, at the end of the of the of the open, when they finally do the the Bond and he's walking in there and he shoots at the thing and you hear the that that sound it. Yeah. Well, the audiences didn't like uh, his opening Bond theme. And they never used it again. They 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 turned it into something else completely different. And Eric Serra is so different from you know John Barry or any of the other composers that have done mm-hmm. Bond music. I mean, he's done Leon the Professional, The Fifth Element, La Femme Nikita, Subway. He's done you know some very interesting things, but it was not any of it was never Bondian. Okay, so, so I, now I know, that we're, we're, in, we're talking score yeah, already. I know. So let's I, I know. People, I know. Especially Paul is probably not going to like the score for this. I actually really like the score for this. Um, I, I know it's electronic music. I know it's very 90s. I know it's not traditionally Bond. But again, this movie to come out with the stick swing and then go, okay, the Cold War is 100% over. This is the 90s now. It's a totally different actor. We're going to try to give you something completely different. And yeah, your mileage is going to vary on how much the modernness is going to take you. Um and again, it might just be because of my age. And I'm not, I like some electronic music, like John Carpenter is one of my favorite composers, and I don't think anybody would consider him a traditional composer. Um, but I think the score works for the mood and the tone that they're trying to set for most of this and make it slightly grittier and very 90s. I mean, we're halfway through the 90s, and it, it's a pretty 90s movie. See, I, I thought the score... I thought this was a very rare case where I thought they were trying to pull back on the score a little bit. The, the electronic nature of it didn't bother me so much as uh, the non-existence of it in many parts of the movie or the yeah. just underplaying it way, way too much, which is usually my criticism is usually just the opposite, that they overplay the score and that they become intrusive with it. Paul, this one, I just thought it, it didn't set a mood at all. Paul, I think that goes to uh, uh, a thing that we we – you guys have talked about separately and we've touched on in, in the discussions we've had, which is it's, it, it at times is a fine line to walk about how, how you do uh, a, how you do a score for a film. And I think what you just illustrated is you're usually the one talking about it being overbearing and here you're saying it's not enough. And so it really is a, it, it can be a hard thing. On the other hand, these guys are the professionals and they're supposed to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> I agree totally. And I agree it's a fine line. And I agree that, you know, I couldn't do better, but that's not the standard we go by. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a musician. <laughs> Nobody oh, we're, we're, we're back to the slide whistle, are we? <laughs> you know, it, it's I just didn't feel that it, that it set a mood. I thought when it did set a mood, it really didn't do it well. I thought the one scene where the score really was well played was when he comes out with the tank and they go to the famous John Barry theme. 
Absolutely. And, and, well, yeah, and it, by that point, I mean, we really haven't heard it other than, you know, the electronic version of, you know, at the beginning with the gun barrel. So by that point, it, you know, it, it had because you're hearing it finally. So uh, I, I'm with Chris a bit on this. I like the electronic, you know, nature of it and what they were trying to do in the 90s with it. I remember really liking it when I saw it then. The only piece that I wish we had seen sprinkled more, and this was alluded to earlier, and I couldn't agree more. The Tina Turner theme in the beginning was fantastic. And yeah. I really liked that it felt very Bond. There's certain ones that have been, like, really cool. And I would have liked to have seen more variations of that sprinkled throughout. Because when, when they do that in a Bond film, it starts to set those movies apart, especially yeah. when you've got that cool opening. But uh, and I, I think there were some cool opportunities with the fact that they were dabbling so much in the electronic versions of things to actually do some fun things with that theme throughout it. Um, it's uh, you don't want to do too much, but I, I agree that there needed to be something a little bit more. I do feel like there's that edge of that piece, but I like I like when the score I like when the score echoes the theme yeah. song. I, mean, and it, and I think telling, I think Live and Let Die was the best one. The next for that. one. There's, you know, the Bond theme is played quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, but in in, uh, in Live and Let Die, they're constantly going back to Paul McCartney's uh, song. That now that was scored by George Martin, if I remember. Yeah, and and, and obviously obviously great relationship there, and it paid off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but the fact that it's always echoing it throughout creates kind of a, a, a consistent feel through the movie too. Yes. So I, I thought this one lacked that. I, I did not care for the score here, and I am. I, you know, I, I am not ashamed of the fact that I'm not an expert on this, you know, on musical stuff like that. All I know is what I like and what I don't like. And more often than not, mm-hmm. if I'm not trying to critique the movie, I'm not even listening to what the score is or I'm not paying special attention to it. I'm just trying to let the movie wash over me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we're going to critique it, then I start trying, you know, paying a little bit more attention to that. And in this instance, I felt like it failed. So, uh Joe Don Baker, we already kind of hit on his uh, Sheriff Pepperness. Uh, <laughs> fail or fail, fail or succeed? What do you guys think? I think he succeeded. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I I liked him, and I and uh, to jump a little bit to to the end of the movie, the final scene mm-hmm. where you you know he pops up. And he says, oh, you know, where was your backup or whatever? And he goes, Marines, and all yeah. the Marines come up. Yeah. I kind of almost felt that was a call back to Dr. No, the first one, where he says, you know, then it's your beat, and you better bring your Marines with you. So I, I kind of got a kick out of him. I, I liked him. The first time I watched it, I didn't simply because he was a villain two movies ago. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. But then I remembered, you know, when you go back, you had all those guys that played, you know, friends of Bonds and enemies. And, and one guy played Blofeld that also yep. played as, you know, a, a friend. And, of course, they all died. But, you know, I mean, it's uh, it, it's just one of those things where it's like after watching it so many times, you forget about that and you're able to move on. And I was able to move on. And I kind of like Joe Don Baker anyway. But he always plays similar to the same guy in most of the stuff he's been doing afterwards. It was funny. The first yeah, time I, mean, I saw it, this, I 
liked Felix so much that I kept like longing for Felix. And I mean, I obviously I know what happened with Felix um, and, and why they went this route. It, this time around, I had a very different experience. I really liked Wade. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just time passage or whatever, but um, I I got what they were doing with him. I thought he added something to the film. Um, I liked um, the relationship with Bond. Uh, I saw like the what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a building block, right, of of this new direction with Pierce Brosnan. And I don't know why it clicked this time, but this was the first time that I saw it that I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I haven't liked him before, but this was actually really good. I actually really enjoyed him. So now I up to that- this point, the only Felix Leiters that I could say I particularly liked were David Hedison and Jack Lord, with Jack Lord being hands down the better of my, in my opinion. Yeah. But they're the only two that I particularly cared for. And, and I think there was an element of, well, we can't make... Felix Leiter as cool as Bond. And I think that, you know, like after the, after Dr. No, they kind of felt that way. And I think that's a mistake because I, I kind of yeah. like, I want, I want, especially if you're going to try and make the most money in the United States, I don't think you hurt yourself by having the United States counterpart be equally effective, even though he's not the focus of the movie. I, I agree with that. And there's, there's, there's a, there's another thing of have your, have your lead character be confident enough that you can surround him with other competent characters and he he still leads the day you know we're gonna we're gonna get to that when we get to the daniel craig ones and jeffrey wright is playing felix mm-hmm. Leiter. yeah and i i think the, you know you're gonna see an element of of what we're talking about now and how that plays and we'll yeah there's almost there's al- there. there's there's a slightly and i mean slightly paternal uh uh, thing from you know because Craig is new as Bond right and he's new in Bond At least in the beginning Bond yeah. himself is new um, in that in that story uh, and Craig is, and Jeffrey Wright's definitely a little bit more experienced like play it cool you know yeah and then, like I said we're, we're we're four movies from that one but uh but we'll get there yeah uh, so going on uh, and I <laughs> I heard an interesting talk where they were like okay. So there's the two Bond women in this movie. Which one would you rather be with? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't want to be with the one who's going to kill, kill me. me. I, I'll tell you, I don't give a shit. I also don't want to be with the one who's yelling, Mister, while I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> you know. Let's so, take the killing you out of it. Which one would you prefer? I'd still take the brunette. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I, I got to find some sort of amalgam of the two that, that takes the best from both, because because I, I, I think either one of them is intolerable to me. But they're you're going to say Judy Dench. We know that. That's because you're an old man. All right, me. It's I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Mini Driver, and I'm just going to have us sing "Stand by Your Man" while we're uh, while we're making sweet love. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if she's singing while you're making sweet. Yeah. Now I, I I gotta say, I that if 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 that was not her regular singing voice, that's some great acting. It's great lip syncing, definitely. Yeah, yeah. It, it, they actually brought someone else in to do the singing, even though Minnie Driver is an accomplished singer herself. I would so. imagine she could have faked it, the bad voice, though. I mean, that's not that hard yeah. to do. I don't know. I think singers have singers that can sing have a really hard time not 
singing well. And maybe Wait. I don't know. I can't sing really well, so I have no problem singing off key. We just gotta go back one second. The scene there where Bond is in the DB5 and Anatop is in it's Ferrari, right? Mm-hmm. How great would have been if Bond had a station wagon? <laughs> yeah. Did you not get a vacation vibe out of that? <laughs> I'm picturing, right now I'm picturing I'm picturing Pierce Brosnan doing the thing with like the ham sandwich that the dog feed on. <laughs> right. I don't see Chevy Chase opening up a bottle of Bollinger though. So. <laughs> So yeah, I, I I I thought they were both effective in their roles. Uh, I didn't think either one was the one you want to take home to mom, but you know that's besides the point. Well, the other thing not, with this one, not is exactly. No, Nata- now you're talking about Natalia. Yeah, Natalia. She doesn't even meet up with Bond yeah. until halfway through the movie. Yeah, I mean that's telling it. in and of itself. She has some development before, you know, the fantasy of James Bond comes into her life. Because they're not—they're trying to show she's not an idiot. She's not a pushover. Right. Well, and that's, you, that's I mean, fine. you have Boris sexually uh, harassing her, mm-hmm. and uh, you know t- she's the only one to survive. So let's give her some credit for that. She shows herself to at least have some level of competence. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I tell you, the scene when he, she's waking him up and she's screaming—it's oh, like yeah. just, just, Bad. just get away from me. I'd rather crash this this helicopter <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay let's let's go over to alan cumming as uh as boris yeah that uh, scottish accent slips out quite a bit i mean <laughs> <he's simple>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he's he's appropriately annoying so that when he finally gets it you're kind of good you know you're kind of good with it and i enjoy the way he gets it <laughs> I, I, I also I also have to say that, you know, the, the writer's axiom, if if you need a shotgun in a later scene, you better put it on the wall first. Um, the Him being a fidgeter, given how they were going to finish the movie with him, uh, they 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 did him fidgeting pretty well. Yes, yes, they did. Yeah, but being well, being it's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the age-old Bond thing, you know. He's going to use all the gadgets at some point. Once <laughs> the pen coming in, yeah, but and being, by the time you're IT guy. looking at it, and Bond's looking at it, you're looking at it like, oh god, what's it going to happen? So good. <laughs> the writing's on the wall, <laughs> along Literally. with the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, being being a computer guy, sitting there watching the things that he does, just that, that was actually like fingernails on the chalkboard to me half the time. I mean, if you, if you saw you easily see, I'm sorry, finish me saying, right? Well, if you saw well, like Natalia, when she set up a password, it was like 30 characters, including special characters. I mean, she was very careful about what she did. Every one of his passwords was a short word that anybody could have, you know, any, any program could have figured out. But couldn't you like easily your, see her go, trying to go into the computer and then seeing, uh, what's his name, uh, was it Wayne Knight's face come up going, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the vibe I got with that. Yeah, I, I like Alan Cumming, but he, he definitely bordered on, on just annoying with a hammer, you know, because you just want to take a hammer to his head. But uh, still, he, he was good, and I liked his fate. Yeah. 
I think he was again, in Again, kind of a blink and you miss it, too, because they do a quick pan over that liquid nitrogen real fast, and then yep. it comes back 10 minutes later. You're like, oh, did you catch that? Chekhov's liquid nitrogen. <laughs> he was important for Natalia, too. I mean, to a certain extent, because yes. you needed something to start, like, wanting to like her, wanting to, you know, rally behind her. And I think because he was so annoying and, you know, was hitting on her and all that, I wanted to see her one of them. I, I liked yeah. the bits of the computer where we got to see her, you know, if mm-hmm. you're him and that little combat between the two. I thought, you know, those parts worked. And that was really, you know, you've got to give credit to Alan Cummings for a lot of that motivation because you wanted to see this happen to him. Like, yes. Any, yeah. Anything he did, he that, anything he, that was a bad fate for him, I wanted to see. So that part I thought was successful. Sean, I think you're right. Uh, that uh, you, it's, it's a compliment to his acting that you wanted to see him killed in, in a horrible way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Robbie Coltrane, Zukowski. Now, the thing about his character that totally endears me to him, or endears him to me, rather, is that he has no hesitation to make fun of James Bond. Yes. Oh, yes. super yeah. spy. <laughs> He's just, like, making fun <laughs> of him. And and, and I, I just love that it doesn't come off as his being, you know, just a, a wise ass. It comes off as, I'm just not impressed by you. You know the way everybody else is, so get out of my face. Paul, I think you're, I think you're right, and and yeah. I'm really enthused. I'm really looking forward to talking about this character right now because it, to me, it's an echo of Wade. It's immediately post-communist Russia. Mm-hmm. Things have gone downhill for this massive empire that was the Soviet Union, and now, you know, for a few years, it's just Russia again. And you've got this guy who was a big influential. KGB spy who now is, you know, basically running crimes. Yeah. And and so he's not impressed with Bond. And I think that that's you said it's endearing. And I, I think it is. I mean, we have all these, you know, we go we go from that. You killed James Bond, you know, not all that many, not all that many years ago to, you know, this is a guy who knows Bond. Not impressed with him, and oh yeah, Bond shot him. <laughs> I gave him that limp. You know, <laughs> it was also clear that he thought about him for a long time after that, which I thought was smart writing. Yes, <laughs> because Absolutely. you've got you've got this guy who's been shot by him, and sometimes that kind of stuff gets glossed over. There's been time passage, and that was very clear in the story that there's been time passage. This is a guy who thought about him. I when I see him, uh, and I liked the way that scene played out because. He knew Bond has an ego, and we all know that. I mean, it's one of the things we like about Bond, um, that he's got a swagger and, you know, a little bit of an ego to him. He wasn't having any of that, though, and he wasn't going to give Bond any leeway there. And I thought those scenes played out really unique to some of the other um, villain encounter, or, you know, whatever you want to call him, kind of encounters. But I thought where he was a layered character is he's also an opportunist. And mm-hmm. when yeah. something is put before him, that is going to be lucrative, you start to put those things aside because of the fact that this could be a benefit. And I like the way that that the pacing of that, um, I like that Bond came really, really close <laughs> to this being problematic because he wanted to torture this guy. 
And uh, it was, I just thought that was a really well done sequence of events and very well acted. Agreed. So now I got a question. Do they have anything akin to OSHA in Great Britain? Because Q's lab has got to get shut down. <laughs> there are no safety, safety protocols whatsoever in that place. I think if by the time you're working in Q branch, I think it gets part of the job. You just have to be aware that you might be injured, maimed, or killed in the line of your scientific duty to the country. It's, exe it's exempt from health and safety. It is, it, it's a, it, is the, it is the poster organization for rules for thee, but not for me. <laughs> That's right. So you have now, a, license to dry, a license to kill, but not to you know, break the traffic laws. So there you go. One of, one of the things that's kind of come to my attention since the superhero movie has become such a, a genre, uh, and I didn't notice this the first dozen times I saw this movie, uh, but when I was watching it for today, I did. Uh, the, way, the way in the superhero movies, you know, you constantly have to have Robert Downey Jr. taking off the Iron Man mask so you could see his face, and the same thing with you know, Chadwick Boseman as, as Black Panther and everybody else with their masks. They're constantly taking them off so you could see them. And the scene with the tank, every once in a while, Pierce Brosnan has to pop his head up out of it, which made no sense to me whatsoever. There's falling bricks, there's stiff stuff coming all over the place. But let me stick my head out so I could smile and they could play the James Bond theme. <laughs> That's why we're there, though. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I, and for, James, for James Bond, yeah, I'm fine with that. You know what? I, every superhero what, actor should be like Carl Urban in Dread. Leave the mask on the whole time. What caught my attention with the tank scene, amongst the obvious, is you know he's being pursued by the police and the military, which they're not bad guys. You know what I'm saying? They're doing their job, so to speak. He would run over these squad cars that, frankly, it should have killed these guys driving the car, and you see them. Get out of the car. It's like all the innocence. Oh, yeah. It was like parachuting out of the Cobra Fang. You had to see that everybody was all right. Yeah, that's I, exactly it. They had to show that, you know, he didn't kill any of the good guys. I, all right. So then I, I think it's, it's a little bit. I, I, I still think that much about it. Well, again, like I said, this is picking nits that I wouldn't do if I was just sitting and getting engrossed in the movie. Paul, this is, we're looking at it for the sake of discussing it. I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Do you know how long Pierce Brosnan waited to play Bond? They had his contract at Remington Steel. They were not going to let this man play the character. He's poking his head out of a tank because he's like, look at me. I'm finally here. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. I thought it was cool, him popping his head out of the tank. Yes, I found it amusing. It's kind of like a whack-a-mole. <laughs> this is fine. Him, adjust, him adjusting his tie after driving through traffic is great. Him adjusting his tie while underwater in a little mini sub, no. Okay, that's what I mean. We're a couple of movies. It's like, let's just enjoy this now. So, uh, I, you know, we, we've made mention in passing of uh, Judy Dench as M. Mm. And I think, you know, I'm probably just reiterating what we already said to say. I think it was an incredibly bold choice to have a female M at that time. I yeah. think it was possibly the best choice they could have made. She was awesome in the role in every movie that she was in. 
Uh, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, the thing I find interesting is that she, I think she's one of these people who was born looking 60 years old and <laughs> yeah. stayed that way. You know, I mean, what is she now, 80? She still looks like she's 60. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's just the fact that it, it's a woman who's in charge of MI5 at this point, or MI6, I can't even remember the number now. But it's, I mean, she she lays out the mission statement for we're in the new generation as well. I think you're a misogynist prig, relic of the Cold War, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I guess she kind of does have to say that, but at the end of it, it's, you better come back. Like, you know, she's letting the audience know you're you're in a different, you know, it's the next re- soft reboot of this character. Things well, are going to be a little bit different. Some dimension. Yes, yeah. if, if yeah. I wanted sarcasm, I'd get I'd talk to my children. It's like, okay, that's not something that Bernard Lee would ever say. You know, it's, it's but they could very have, they different. They could have easily trial. made her, okay, we're going to take her and just make her tough as nails, and she's going to give Bond that speech about how you're a dinosaur, blah, 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 and over. But no, they gave her, they gave her and her own performance gave her more depth than that and made her, yeah. I, I think in the first movie she ever played M, she was already the best M. And, that, yeah. and I hate to say this, yeah. but she basically was a the British version of my mother. <laughs> I think that's who they, who they said inspired the role. <laughs> uh, uh, like I said, she just like she played a very good version of my mother with a British accent. Would y'all like to know in the script they have what her name was? Did y'all want to know it or oh, did you know it? I know I've heard it, but I don't remember it. Okay, I won't get killed for this, will I? Barbara Maudsley. Maudsley. That's a if you gave me a choice, I wouldn't that, have been I know that's why she would have killed. She would have had him killed if he'd said it in Casino Royale. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, yeah, I've always been comfortable. So that was, that was, hang on, hang, I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead. Uh, Brian, that was in the script for GoldenEye? Yes. Wow. I've always been comfortable with the fact, you know, from a storyline point of view, that there's different people who have the role of M. It's not just one person who's M and it's got to be the whole time. There's different people who can have the role of Q. It's that's it's a job title as opposed to a name. But I've never liked the idea where they say, oh, James Bond is uh, just a name and it's different people who've been that character, you know, that role. That makes no sense to me. And I don't like when they say that. The movie addresses that in such a cool way, too, with that scene with the cognac and, uh, you know, by, he was he was talking about the predecessor. Yeah. And I one of the things I really did like about this film was progression, like this sense of I mean, Bond, you, with with the Bond films, you got to kind of a lot of times use your sense of disbelief and make your own kind of continuity with them. But I did feel like this movie made a really interesting attempt with the opening sequence, giving it like a history there to with the introduction to M in this one, continuing throughout this film, like a sense of progression, a sense of Bond having this history, um, his guilt, all of those pieces that were playing into this. And I really liked the sequences with M because you're right, she had range. And I, when she walked in, it was dramatic. You know, it was, it was, they were talking about her and that uh, everyone was quiet. <laughs> And she didn't have to say a word. It was she walked in with that look. And that's sometimes hard to do. Like before she you wanted to know what she was going to say, but you knew it was going to be something where you were going to respect her right away. 
And it's kind of key in this film and for that character. It's one of the reasons I think why we all love her is the fact that um, as M, she just just has that. Pre- what an actress to be able to. Yeah, really it was a good, good way to introduce uh, the character of Tanner, who yes. Rory Kinnear would play later. And what was this guy's name? Uh, Mike Kitchen that played him. Uh, he played him in this one and the world. I think um, the world is not enough. Yeah. But uh, when he says that line about the evil queen in numbers and 007's like, oh, right behind you. <laughs> I think it was bold to make her never having been a field agent either. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think, you know, we, we can kind of go to our prisoner talk there where uh, the field agents generally aren't expected to live long enough to become mm-hmm. supervisors. Right. But you could buy that Bernard Lee at some point, either fought in a war or. Yeah, Bernard Bernard Lee because of age and the the, the war component is definitely definitely understandable there. Mm. So now uh, just another I guess nitpicky thing, but uh, when Alex finally gets James, he must have been reading Austin Powers. <laughs> because he's, you know, we could kill him. No, no, no. Let's put him in the helicopter and lift it up, and then we'll just trust that he's going to die. Everything plan. Yeah. Well, in my room, I have a gun. We'll shoot him. It'll be fun. <laughs> but that goes back to the beginning of the picture when he's making his escape, and uh, what's his name? All the, the general. Yeah. Oh, no, don't shoot. Why not? Shoot him and be done with it. Well, no, but that's because there were those... Uh, flammable, flammable... Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 when he's running, he's running towards the plane. Oh, no, because he, he doesn't do... Yeah, because he assumes he's going to... He's got nowhere to go. All right, well, yeah. well shoot him. Because he's, he's standing there, General... What is it? Olaf or whatever or, his name is. Orloff. Uh, Orloff. He, he's sitting there saying, physics tells me that even if he jumps off, he can't catch up with the plane and pull it out of a nosedive. Therefore, I'm going to trust that he's going to die. He scientifically can't get saved. And he didn't realize that scriptwriters would under, undermine that. And there's another guy who failed up. His whole place <laughs> got blown to hell. Oh, he's promoted now. He's in charge of Space <laughs> Command. Space Division. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt he could have been more threatening. He was one of uh, one of the, the slight missteps. I thought he could have been cast better. I, I, actually, I actually thought I actually thought that represented a little bit of real world politic. And 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 just in, like in a positive way, like Robbie Coltrane's character uh, adjusted to the circumstance and is suddenly at heart a capitalist. Because you know how does Bond how does Bond get him to go along, right? You're going to improve his position. Um, this guy is this guy is becoming a really big bank robber. I kept hearing uh, Alan Rickman going, "I am an extraordinary thing." Uh, now, if, <laughs> if, if, just if Alan Rickman could do a Russian accent, and I have no reason to believe he couldn't. Don't you think he would have been have much better? Well, they, they asked him to do it, and he he basically says, "I'm tired of playing the villain," <laughs> and so he uh, he turned it down. They also offered it to Anthony Hopkins. Oh man! And he turned that it down. I, well, I got now, you know, what's interesting? At the, at the same time, though, they thought Paul McGann was going to be playing Bond. 
Really? So it'd be a completely different cast. Interesting. Yeah. What What's interesting to me about that is, uh, obviously, we're all pretty much on the same page on Judy Dench. And if you think mm -hmm. about it, it's hard to come up with another time in the franchise's history where somebody with that kind of credibility comes in for a regular gig mm -hmm. in the movies uh, and then really adds so much just by presence. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. All right. Anybody have anything else on this? Well, Any other notes? I mean, do, do you all know where the name Goldeneye came from? Was yes. that uh, Ian Fleming's ranch? That's yeah, his, uh, his estate, house. his his house in Jamaica, where he used to write the Bond novels. Yeah, and it, I mean the thing is, Goldeneye has been used as a name for so many different things, including other movies, and of course it's got a full line of what, what twelve different video games that come yeah. off of Goldeneye. It's even James Halliday's favorite video game. If y'all are ready to play the, the, the video games, games actually <laughs> gave this particular film a level of like a cult following, cult following is unfair because it was not notoriety, but a, but a widespread notoriety among people of gaming years age later. when the movie came out. This this was apparently like a very very big uh, college dorm room game. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and if you play odd job the right way, you can't be killed. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think everybody knows that. Uh, well, I, I have one other point on my notes to mention is the. Interesting use, Dave. You got to be on top of this one, of a BMW. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that, that's definitely a change of pace for uh, for James. Yeah. Well, that wasn't yeah. that part of the marketing campaign for that too. Exactly. Right. BMW yeah. became James Bond's car of choice because it became whatever it is, United Artists' uh, money supplier of choice. <laughs> well, clearly, IBM was a sponsor of this picture too. Yeah. yeah, but like the, that, the Z3, you know, it, it didn't even come out for another six months. And so that car there was basically put together by hand. So they had to be very, very careful with it. The um, and and I mean, they didn't really, you know, hit out. They, they did actually put a bond version that you could go and buy. And they sold out within like the first week that they were available. Wow. Nice. Yeah, the, the marketing for this was pretty damn good because i remember seeing the teaser where it was just brosnan walking out you know the name the, and the, that was it i was like okay sign me up to take my money yeah well I, th I think you know being able to sign brosnan on was like kind of a, a fantasy in uh many fans minds for a long time so when they finally were able to do it you could easily just center your marketing scheme around that so i guess we're there and I'm going to say, I kind of, this did kind of solidify my thoughts on this. I, I had not come up with my, uh, my rating until, you know, I hadn't, I, I knew I had a range. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to place it as a high Jaws 2. I really enjoy this movie. I think it's got a couple of little flaws to it, but nothing of a critical nature. It is extremely rewatchable. Um, it, it, it's it's a great effort to bring in a new Bond, and I think they did so really well. 
Uh, and then a lot of the other elements of the movie just kind of blend together well. I, I you know, again, we talked about Judy Dench's M. I, I, I really enjoy the idea of the villain being a W 006 or, or another double O. Uh, there's just a lot of elements to this one that just really sit well with me. And I have, I could pretty much sit through it anytime. So a high draws too for me. Uh, and I guess we'll go around the circle like we did before. So Dave, you're next. Oh, this, this movie, you know, typically I take a lot of notes when I watch. I don't have a lot because I got so wrapped up yeah. in watching the movie. I enjoyed watching it so much. I, I will say, to some extent, and it's going to sound a little weird, I had a little melancholy watching this. Because it's like looking, thinking back of the world at that, at that time, you know. Oh, you know. Soviets are gone. The world is changing. You know, the way they played the uh, minister of defense, you know, yeah. the, he was like a decent guy. He wasn't somebody with an agenda or something. And I kind of feel bad the way things really turned out in the real world. But uh, I was a big fan of Remington Steele. I used to love that program. And I wanted him to be James Bond. So this was a fulfillment for me. I love the car chases. That's, you know, the highlight of my movies. You throw some police cars after a tank. Oh, I'm there. <laughs> um, to make a long story short, to me, this is a very, very high Jaws to. Fair enough. Uh, actually, you, you've changed position. Sean, you're next. So, yeah, I'm I'm actually also going to go with a high jaws, too, on this one. And and the reason being, um, boy, when I rewatched this one through, it it is incredibly rewatchable. But it was also a needle mover for the Bond movies. Um, you can mm -hmm. really say that this one set the stage for an era. And uh, the, the, the Brosnan era certainly made, made its mark. It moved the needle forward. I think it took a lot of the pieces that I really liked about Connery and brought them back into the franchise. And um, but yet not giving up the humor that had, uh, I think, I think they were trying to, in a really balanced way, reach two audiences um, with, the, with the Bond franchise with this. And I, I think they did a good job of it. Um, I, I really enjoyed the action. I enjoyed, I thought it was a great cast, you know, overall, when you take a look at the film, it wasn't just Bond. It was, you've, you've got strong villains, you've got um, his, his supporting cast, everybody I really liked. Um, it was, it was definitely a very strong opener. And like David, I was, I was waiting for this. I wanted, and I still feel that nostalgia when I see it. I'm like, I wanted this so bad. And it still has that feel to it of, this is the guy I was rooting for, and he's here, and he, he was delivering. And, yeah, he poked his head out of the tank. I'm with him on that one. <laughs> like, you go, James. I agree it doesn't make sense, but I'm, I'm with him. Pierce Brosnan can do it. Uh, but, yeah, high jaws, too. All right. Brian, you're uh, in that spot now. Well, I'll say, you know, before I give my, my rating, I'm going to say a couple things. I, I think that we didn't talk enough about Famke Jansen and her role as Inya on the top. Uh, she is probably one of the most compelling female Bond villains, just one of those femme fatales. Uh, if y'all, I don't know if y'all remember back in the day, back in the, the mid 90s, uh, there was an email program we used called CC Notes. 
And I, I just remember someone had sent a thing and I clicked on it. This is back in, in the 90s and I didn't know any better. And so after that point, anytime I got an email, it was the sound of Zinnia on the top after she shot all those people at Severnaya Base <laughs> where she's making those or, orgasmic sounds. <laughs> and, and, anyway, but I mean, just her character. Thing that she purported to be on screen and uh, just uh, she's probably my favorite uh, female villain in a Bond movie. Um, that being said, the, the other things about the movie that, that we didn't uh, touch on was like the, the miniature work that they did with the Severnaya station. And I don't know if you guys have actually seen that. And I got some pictures I'll send you um, that are just really cool showing the miniatures on it because they did some fantastic, amazing work putting that together. Um, so in all of it, all the, the most of the special effects were virtually seamless with uh, with the action and all that. So it, it worked out so well. They did a really, really good job. Uh, like the others, I'm giving this a high two. All right, cool. Uh, Chris? Well, I, you know, um, yeah, for me, uh, it's it's a it's a Jaws. Um, I love this one. I've watched it so many times. Champion Jansen is probably the best and period, male or female, in a long time in any of these movies. Um, I mean, she just stands out. Uh, having a, a villain that's connected to Bond's past, a former friend, why it took them, you know, 30-something years to do a story like that? Who can say? I mean, it, it, that's kind of one of those ideas that should write itself in some capacity. Uh, and it's just... Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big slap in the face of, all right, uh, I, maybe we kind of went off the rails a little with the last Dalton one, and it's been a while, so here you go. Here's everything you like. Big, crazy set pieces, a couple of hot chicks, uh, Bond getting laid a lot, uh, one-liners, action, a uh, story that is, for a Bond film, is somewhat intricate, but also still easily followable, even if you're of a, a younger age. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of touched on modern politics at the time, which I really don't need the Bond films to do. But uh, overall, everything in this just works for me. Um, and it's one of the few theme songs, it has one of the few theme songs that I really, really like. So yeah, this is a, a straight up Jaws for me. You're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> All right, Jeff, you're uh, cleaning up. All right. Well, uh, I want to touch on a couple of things first. I don't think we said the name Isabella Skorupko out loud. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, uh, definitely, I definitely liked her. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, Defense Minister Dmitry Mishkin, which was Czechy Caro, uh, who, yeah. uh, who I first saw in, Le, in the original La Femme Nikita. Uh, and uh, really liked him in that, and I thought he did a lot with a small part in this. Mm. And that was the the case for a number of the a number of the additional roles are relatively small, but the casting and and, and it really comes down to like like the um, we mentioned Michael Kitchen as Tanner, uh, and his role was very important, very small role. Uh, mm -hmm. Samantha Bond, so to speak, as Money Penny. Uh, you know, years later, you get to see her on Downton Abbey, but this is an actress who can who can do the job. Um, and 
and and there's just there's, I mean, and then we we already talked about mini driver. I mean, when your throwaway roles are a mini driver, somebody up there doing behind the scenes. Here, <laughs> yeah, you know, so somebody somebody did in in the casting did did a really great job in this movie. Uh, and some of the people were already stars. Some of them were on their way to being stars, and some went on to be stars. And and I think it all it all adds up with Brosnan's performance, which had that that edge of it felt overdue because it was so long between movies, and because he'd been teased to us before. Uh, and uh, this and I, I said earlier, I think this is the redemption of the franchise financially. Um, and then, you know, what they do after it is a, it is a different story. But this is the resuscitation of the franchise. And for me, uh, it's a Jaws. Okay. That's great. Where, where you know, Jeff, I didn't, I didn't realize that was Uncle Bob. Yeah. As a defense minister. I, I Bob. just. Josephine. Just com- yeah, completely blows me away. He, yeah, so he's that, Jackie Cario is great in every, everything he shows up in. It's just one mm-hmm. of the magnetic anytime he's on the screen. So this this would be the highest rated, universally highest rated one I think we've done in the, the entire franchise, uh, which is interesting. But that'll do it for this one. Uh, thanks to the, the entire panel for coming on again. And we'll be back with, is Tomorrow Never Dies next or The World Is Not Enough? Yes. I don't remember. Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies. There's so no we'll be back. Like the James Bond is. panel will be back. Oh, we got we got a we got a future Oscar winner in the next one. All right. So uh, thanks again, guys, for coming on, and thank you everybody for listening, yeah. and uh, we'll catch you all next time. Girls, they gather around him. If I had.
so close and be denied. 